Well, hey, church family, uh, welcome once again to our time in God's Word. This morning we'll be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll have the text on the screen as we have before, but let me encourage you, if you want to look on uh, into God's Word, to open up a Bible, to consider His Word with me for the next few minutes together. You know, every parent, and really anyone who's ever spent any time around kids, knows the weight and the responsibility of caring for children. Uh, Depending on their age and other factors, children can be a tremendous amount of work. And uh, during our recent stay-at-home order here in Alabama, you parents have taken on some additional burdens. You know, if you're a typical mom or dad, then you're used to leading and loving and caring for your kiddos, but uh, you usually have some help. Uh, Teachers, daycare workers, uh, coaches, grandparents, church leaders, Praise God for these folks. Uh, These servants who come alongside us parents and help share the load of education and care, uh, growth and development. And even now, some of these same folks are extending guidance and instruction and care through virtual classrooms. And so for you educators out there, thank you. Uh, Thank you for your efforts. Thank you for your intentionality. Thank you for your service. Thank you for serving and teaching and helping us shepherd our children in this way. You know, many parents uh, who were used to breaks in the day are now feeling the constant challenge of caring for children 24-7. FaceTime, Zoom, uh, Google Classrooms, these are everyday occurrences in many American homes today. And so I wonder, parents, how are you doing? Uh, How are you coping? Uh, How are you holding up? I want us to consider today what God's Word has to say about this relationship between parents and children. You know, the Bible doesn't read like a parenting manual, but it does have much to say uh, about the parent-child relationship. And so let's hear what it has to say. And I want to do so by turning to perhaps the most fundamental passage on that relationship From God's Word. So let's hear what He has to say. We'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 6 today. And before I read Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, just a little bit about the context. So here's where we are in God's story God has delivered His people. He has heard His his people cry out for help. He's heard the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, uh, the people we know as the Israelites or the Hebrews or the Jews. He's, He's heard them cry out from slavery in Egypt, and He has remembered His promises to them. And he has come to the rescue. He has come and he has led them out of bondage uh, through a series of plagues. He has, uh, he, he has led, he has coerced Pharaoh, this pagan king of that land, to, to let Moses and this massive uh, congregation of people go out of Egypt uh, and into the desert. And they are marching toward the promised land. So they have crossed the Red Sea by God's power. Uh, their enemies, the Egyptian army, has been defeated. Uh, And as they march toward the promised land, that generation of uh, Israelites failed to trust the Lord to provide for them upon entering the land. And so they've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. And now there's a new generation of Israelites, and God is giving his law to this generation once again. He's reminding them of who he is and what he's done and what he requires of his people. He's just given them uh, uh, the Ten Commandments. He's just reminded them of these instructions, these central laws that are going to govern his relationship with his people. And now we come to Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
uh, the giving of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now we come to chapter 6. Let's hear from God's Word. Verse 4, Moses says, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let's pray together. Father, would you lead us now? Speak to us through your word. May your spirit guide us in understanding and receiving the truth that you have for us that we might know and love you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, verse 4 here of Deuteronomy 6 is known as the Shema uh, from the Hebrew word for hear. And it's one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible. Even today, Orthodox Jews uh, recite Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5 in their daily prayers a couple times a day. The Shema may be a statement about the oneness of God. He is one God. But it can also be translated this way, that the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, or Yahweh alone. In other words, he alone is God and he is our God. This is why the very first and foundational command of God's Ten Commandments was this, Deuteronomy 5, verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, what God requires of us or of his people is predicated on what he has done for his people. Uh, This is who I am, God says, and this is what I've done for you. You are to be my people and you're to worship me alone. You're to be in relationship with me. You see, God's character invites us to love him. His character invites us to love him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. You know, far too often, I think we get this backwards. We uh, construct a God of our imagination according to our liking or according to what we want to believe about him or how we want to treat him. And as a result, when our circumstances change, when our feelings change, uh, our devotion to him changes as well. You know, last week we considered God's design for marriage from Genesis chapter 2. And isn't this what often happens in marriage? Feelings change and marriages crumble. Uh, Feelings change and as a result, a spouse says something like, well, I just don't love her anymore or I I just don't love him anymore. But love is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a covenant commitment, and your relationship with God cannot thrive upon a feeling any more than your marriage can thrive on feeling. You see, like a marriage vow, this text expresses a cry of allegiance, a cry of of wholehearted commitment and devotion to Yahweh. This is who God is, and so we're going to love him like this. His character invites us, his nature invites us to love him. How's your love for God? How's your love for the Lord? How has the present pandemic impacted your relationship or your walk with God? Maybe you've distanced yourself from communion with God. 
Maybe you're questioning him or maybe you're bitter toward him or altogether skeptical of him because of what's been going on around the world this spring. Now, to be sure, circumstances should and do often impact the way that we pray, the way that we talk to God, what we say to God. I think we see this throughout his word. I think we were given permission for this to be the case from his word. Circumstances, whether good or bad, are tools in the hand of the sovereign God to, to lead us to him, to lead us to, to repentance, uh, to lead us to maturity in the faith. Sometimes we hear people say things like, well, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but I wouldn't change it because it made me stronger. And we know what they mean by that, that difficulty often produces character development. So I wonder, how has the coronavirus impacted your perspective of God. How has it affected you spiritually? No doubt it's, it's affected all of us in some way or another, and perhaps God is acting in such a way. Perhaps he's allowing such a sickness to grab our attention. Now, I don't want to go too far here. I don't want to suggest something that we simply do not know, but one thing that we absolutely know from God's word is that his character does not change, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Theologians call this the immutability of God. In other words, the idea that the same God who parted the Red Sea and who led the Israelites in a a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night uh, and who hung on a cross and who, who was laid in a tomb and who was raised back to life from the dead, this one reigns even now on high. That the same God is still God, that he is the Lord alone, and that he is the Lord, our God, who rules the universe at this very moment. And he is the one who will one day return and gather his people from every corner of the earth into his perfect kingdom forever and ever and ever. Friends, that's the God that is made known to us in creation. That's the God who's been made known to us through his word. That's the God who's been made known to us in Jesus. And so church, we have every reason to praise him. He is worthy of our praise. His character invites us to love him. He is the Lord. Is he your Lord? Friend, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He is the only God. He's the only God that's worthy of worship today. He's the God who we pause today together, even though we're not together physically, we, we pause together to worship him, to exalt his name, and not only as a community of believers known as Meadowbrook Baptist Church, but alongside other households of faith, other, other gatherings of God's people, other pockets of God's people in Birmingham across the state and all over the world. Friend, does he reign in your heart? Has he saved you? If not, I can assure you based upon the truth of his word that he, he desires to. He desires for you to know his unfailing love. He desires for you to know that he longs to deliver you from death, to spare you his just judgment, and to call you his own. He wants to be your Lord. Bow before him as Lord today and love him. Love him, friend, with all that you are. He's a good father. He's he's a gracious savior. He's a promise keeper. He knows you and he wants to be known by you. He is altogether lovely, so love him. Love him, church. Love him in the midst of joys and celebrations. 
Love him in the midst of economic growth and stability and love him in the middle of economic uncertainty. Love him during disease and depression and love him during health and happiness. God's character is constant and his character calls us to love him. Do you love him? Do you love him? See, like Jesus, our Savior, often did, this text is emphasizing inner devotion over outward external ritual. It's consistent with the the prayer of the psalmist when he said, I desire to do your will, my God. I want to do what honors you. I want to do your will, God. Your law is within my heart. Friend, it's it's the Lord the desire of your heart. His character invites us to love him, for he is the creator of life, and he is the caretaker of your life and of my life. He is sovereign over nations, and his spirit resides in the hearts of his children. He is the Lord. He is the Almighty. He's the King of creation, and yet he is the one who graciously spares you his judgment by giving you the righteousness of his perfect Son, Jesus our Savior. So love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus said, this is the first and greatest commandment. We're commanded, we're called, uh, and we're compelled to love the Lord with all that we are because of who he is. God's good and saving character invite us, compel us, call us, beckon us, coerce us to love him. Do you, do you know him? And do you love him? You see, if you know him and you love him, then you will want others to also know him and love him. If you love the Lord, you will talk about him. If you love the Lord, you'll talk about him. Do you talk about him? Do you talk about Jesus? Do you talk about our Lord? This is still the best way to spread this good news. This is still the best way to spread the hope of the gospel, the news of a Savior, to talk about him. Oh, that we would love God so much that we can't help but to talk about him. Peter writes to the church, he instructs his readers, he instructs us in this way. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do you have this hope? Do you have hope of life in Christ, of a right relationship with God, even here and now as you walk on earth, but of eternity with him? Do you have this hope? There's a lot of hopelessness in the hearts of many today. There's a lot of fear on the faces of many today. In fact, several days ago, I went into Publix for just a few minutes to grab a few grocery items that we needed. And I remember one particular lady who looked fragile and frail, but a lady who had fear all over her face, who was fearful of interacting or or coming near anyone, and you could just see that she was concerned, almost panicked. She did not portray hope. She portrayed hopelessness. And there's a lot of hopelessness in the world today. And as much as ever, people need to hear about the hope that has been offered to us and given to us and provided for us in Jesus our Savior. Will we be the ones to tell them? Will we be the ones to to share Christ it's easy to talk about the things we love. I can tell you all about my kids. I can tell you about my wife. I can tell you all about turkey hunting or bass fishing. I can tell you about 
Lane, a little bit about Lane Tile, and I can tell you a little bit about Greeley, and I can tell you how to use the Chick-fil-A mobile app, and those are all fine and good. But let me tell you about Jesus. Let's be a people who talk about Jesus. Let me tell you about God's presence on earth and Christ's resurrection from the dead and the new life that he gives to all those who trust in him. As a father, oh, how I want my kids to know this Jesus. Parents, perhaps the best way for us to pass on the faith to the generations that follow is to love the Lord our God with all that we are. To love him more than anything else. If we love the Lord, we will naturally tell our children about him. Led by the Holy Spirit, Moses writes in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, he says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them, he says, on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let me just say it this way, friends. If you love the Lord, your greatest parenting goal will be to lead your children to know Jesus. If you love the Lord, if he has captured your heart, if, you have, if he has wooed you with his character and his love, if you, if you love the Lord, your greatest parenting goal, your greatest parenting aim, your greatest parenting ambition will be to lead your children to know Jesus Christ. More than success on the sports field. More than excellence in the classroom. More than a winsome personality. More than a lucrative career. Those who love Jesus long for their children to love Jesus. Parents, do you long for your children? to know and to love Jesus. The Bible says impress God's commands on your children. The point that's being made is repeat these instructions of God. Repeat the instructions of God and the ways of God over and over and over again to your children so that they have every opportunity to hear and to know the Lord God who saves. Now, just a few days ago, we were preparing in our home to to participate in church just like you are today to watch church and to participate together in church as a family. And my two-year-old, I remember vividly, wanted to do something else. And we said, no, it's, it's, it's time for church. We're going to have church. And what, what a protest it was. No, I don't, I don't like church. Of course, this perspective of church has been changed, altered drastically over the several, last several weeks. I think he's tired of hearing Daddy preach, and I don't... Blame him, but what an opportunity when when our behavior, when our activities, when our words are dictated by our love for Jesus. What an opportunity to say, no, no, son, this, this is why we do this. Because God has rescued us. Because we serve a God who, who loves us with an unfailing love. We, we know one who loves us deeply and longs for us to know him and to enjoy him. So this is why we act this way. This is why this is a priority. This is why we open his word and sing his praises. Parents, are you passing on a legacy of faith? Moses says, talk about the Lord when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, talk about the Lord when you're resting and when you're active. Talk about the Lord in the evening when you prepare to go to bed and in the morning when you get up. Talk about the God who saved us. Talk about him all the time. That's the message here. 
Some, some have taken Moses' words here quite literally, tying uh, small boxes called phylacteries containing scripture on their heads and on their arms. In fact, hopefully we've got a couple pictures of these on the screen and uh, even engraving scripture on their door frame so that the word of God would literally be always in front of them, reminding them that they belong to him. The point is that God's word ought to be prominent in our lives and it ought to be prominent in our homes. This is indeed a family matter. You see, a cross on the front door on Easter Sunday is a statement about our faith in Jesus, but perhaps there ought to be reminders throughout our homes all the time that we belong to Jesus. A decoration that bears testimony to our faith, suggesting to every guest and inhabitant that enters the house that we depend upon the Lord, that we trust in Jesus. In fact, Paul the Apostle makes this connection explicitly for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul clearly connects this text, Deuteronomy chapter 6, with faith in Jesus Christ. And there in 1 Corinthians, he's writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to, to a pagan, uh, a church that's in a pagan culture where there's uh, much idolatry. And he's writing there, he's speaking about food sacrificed to idols. And essentially he says, you know, if you want to call them gods, they're not really gods. We worship the one God. He refers and and alludes to this text here in Deuteronomy 6. And he inserts the name Jesus Christ after Lord, clearly identifying Jesus with this Lord, with with Yahweh, the God who made himself known to his people in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, he says, yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. He's saying Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. So friends, let's be people who talk about Jesus in our homes. Talk about Jesus in your home. Talk about Jesus in your home. Has anybody spent some time at home lately? Anybody been sitting at home ready to get out, eager to get out, eager for something to do. You know, the Bible instructs us, calls us, invites us, compels us to talk about Jesus, to talk about the word of the Lord as we sit at home. The King James Version reads, When thou sittest in thou house, to moms, dads, Brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, talk about Jesus as thou sittest in thou house. So what might this look like for a family? What what might this mean for a family during our present Safer at Home initiative? Well, perhaps now is the perfect time to begin a family devotion. Perhaps now is the perfect time to incorporate God's word into your time around the table. Maybe now is the time to begin slowly reading and discussing God's Word, a particular book of the Bible, walking through a book of God's Word together. Moms, dads, we're called to do this. We're called to impress God's truth, His character, His purposes, His story upon our children. Now's the time. Let's seize the day. Let's seize the opportunity. Let's engage our our families with His Word. Or consider perhaps a a family prayer time each morning or evening during the week with a different prayer focus for each day, maybe a different member of the family voicing a prayer, leading the prayer for each day. Friends, 
God is at work today in families. It longs to, to work greatly and is working mightily, I believe, in, in the families of his people today. He desires to strengthen and sustain marriages. He desires to reinstate family discipleship and to see boys and girls, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas come to know and to follow Jesus. So let's be a people who put Jesus first in our homes. You know, it's rather difficult, perhaps even impossible, to teach your children or others you may know to follow Jesus if you don't know and follow Jesus. And perhaps you're listening today and, and you don't. Maybe you don't know or love the Lord Jesus. Well, through the message of the Bible, God reveals his good character. He reveals who he is to us. And he invites us to, to know his love, to enjoy his love, to love him in response. But he doesn't force it. Instead, he invites us to consider what he has done for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Meaning those in the world. So loved us, he so loved you, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. St. John that wrote those words would later write, he says, we love because he first loved us. Friend, do you know his love? Do you know the father's love for you? There's no better time than now to discover his love for you. And if you want to discover his love, then read his word, read his story, and ask him to show you. Read God's grand story of love. Read his love story today. That's what his word is. It's a story of his love for you. It's a story of his love for his, his people. And whether you have kids or not, now's the perfect time to begin reading his word. The Bible is not just a book of rules and guidelines and history. Sometimes we communicate it like that. Sometimes we View it like that, but it's much more than that. It's an incredible story of God creating and calling and redeeming a people to be his people, to live in intimate fellowship with him and to enjoy his perfect love for all of eternity. There's no greater story ever written than the gospel, the grand story of God's word. So let's be a people who read this story. Let's meditate on this story. Let's consume this story, the story of God's word, and let's tell this story. And as you do, as we do, I believe we will grow to love this story. And if you love it, if you love it, you will talk about it, even now, even now, as you sit at home. Father in heaven, help us. Help us to do just that. Lord, help us to consume your word that we might know you more. Instruct us through it. Guide us in your truth. Show us who you are. That we might respond with adoration, obedience, and praise. Father, I pray for families and marriages even now, Lord, that you would strengthen and sustain them. Lord, that you would lead some moms and some dads, even some children, to initiate a, a family devotional time, time in your word, growing as your children. Lord, teach us. Father, work in us. Hear our praise now as we respond to you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.